I basically became an entrepreneur when no one really talked about entrepreneurs. I started my first company at 18. Then I started subsequent companies after that, built uh, several multi-million dollar companies in a row, just kept being home run after home run. It's kind of a life where you keep reiterating yourself and reinventing yourself. People go through journeys and the lives are stories. And that's really what we're made up of. You set forth this vision of who you are as a leader that your employees look to. To me, being a leader is like being a, a lighthouse, like a beacon. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Baloo. Boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a Forbes Top 50 rated host of nine podcasts at the Chris Voss Podcast Network with over 700 episodes. Chris Voss is a best-selling author of multiple books. He has a new book out called Beacons of Leadership, which we're going to be talking about today. And this is a man that I've gotten to know a little bit. And I got to tell you, I like him. I know you're going to like him too. I'm speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Chris Voss. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, yeah. You said somebody's exciting coming on. Are they coming on like uh, in a minute or two or something like that? <laughs> thank you i certainly appreciate it nick thank you for the introduction i really appreciate it thanks for your audience for having me on the show my pleasure brother my pleasure there you so, go and we we had you on uh our show recently you did you did yeah and really i need to update that bio we're like 11 under shows <laughs> it's an old i was like listen to that going man, somebody needs to rewrite that thing uh <laughs> so thanks for having me on the show i certainly appreciate it and it's wonderful to spend some time with you again and that's great to be here brother really really great to be here so chris this show is a show that caters to the entrepreneur it caters to mm -hmm. the society's greatest hero as far as i'm concerned entrepreneurs are the men and the women with the heart the guts to go after their dreams. And these folks listen to this show because what they want to do is they want to learn from you. They want to learn from you how they can make their lives better, how they can make their businesses better. And you got a new book out right now, which is chock full of good information about that. But before we can get into all of that, they got to get to know you, man. They can't open your hearts, their hearts up to you unless they know you. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Chris Voss? There you go. Well, my father and mother got together one night and uh, the, I think there was some drinking involved and uh, that's how I got to be the great Chris Voss. And that's kind of the short, that's the short story, <laughs> uh, but no, I, uh, well, you know, it, 
I, I'm not sure they thought it was funny once they found out they got that, that uh, notification. In fact, you're like, oh, God, what have we done? But, you know, I think most parents have been there, right? Uh, <laughs> that or when they become teenagers, then, then as parents, you go, oh, my God, what have we done? So uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, my, my new book's available at Amazon, Beacons of Leadership. And uh, you, you can go see me at the Uh It all started, of course, with those two parents in that, that night, uh, that one night in the back of a car. <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened, uh, but uh, I think it was intentional. I don't know. That's why they tell me I haven't found my adoption papers. But uh, uh, I grew up uh, kind of with a family that uh, struggled financially. My dad didn't have a college degree. Uh, he was always trying to make it get rich schemes he was always in something trying to make something work uh and uh and i watched him go through his life and his struggle uh to make things work to be a provider for his family and he did the best he could uh, i think as most parents do and uh, then around 18 I had an interesting experience. I was working as at McDonald's. I talk about the story in my book. I was working at McDonald's. I had no idea what entrepreneurship is back when I was young, uh, which was that 5,000 years ago, evidently according to records they take uh, where they, uh, you know, they check your bones. Um, the paleontithic area I was, I think it was your pterodactylic area. Um, you know, you've been there. Uh, so uh, I, I was just going through the... Uh, uh, work of McDonald's flipping burgers. And I think I was working at pizza at the same time. And I had long hair. I was a you satanic. Had I had long hair. And, and when I grew up, that was, uh, you were deemed as being of Satan. If you had long hair and I was living in Utah too, at the same time. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, throughout my life, I'd grown up, uh, helping my dad at his subcontractor business. He'd had a little subcontractor business, plastering foundations and making money at that. He'd since kind of closed it down and moved on to other things. And uh, But I knew how to do the trade, the hard work, the blue collar work. And I uh, I took and uh, uh, was working at McDonald's and uh, a guy took a shine to me who was very religious and he didn't like my Van Halen satanic Van Halen t-shirt concert uh, shirts. And he didn't like my long hair. Uh, and he wanted me to cut my hair and told me that if I didn't, I would be out of a job. So, and I'm there making 385 an hour, whatever it was back then. I don't think it's changed much. Uh, <laughs> evidently. uh and, uh, so I didn't want to cut my hair because, you know, when you're a teenager, that's a real big part of your identity and everything else. And so, uh, I noticed that the women who worked at McDonald's with me, you know, they had their long hair and they wore those hair bobs up into their hat to keep the hair from falling into the food. So I asked them where they got them and I went and bought me some and I started wearing my long hair bobbed up into my hat. Um, he thought he'd uh, won the ultimate uh, domination of me. And he, you know, he was one of those guys who had some issues. And um, so uh, for about a month or two, I got away with that. One day he caught me pulling the hair out. He lost it. And he, he realized that he'd been, he'd been suckered. I didn't intend to suck him. Certainly it's my right to do what I want, but I took in uh I took and got fired that day. Whoa. <laughs> so I went, to my, I went home to my dad for long hair because we know that what a grievance that is. We've all been there. Uh, and he, uh, my dad said, well, what the hell are you going to do? Because, uh, you know, you're not a Gen Z or millennial. You can't stay here and not have a job. And uh, so I, I was like, I don't know. He goes, why don't you just go? You know, I've still got my credit account at the Economy Builder Supply. Still got my tools back in the garage. Uh, why don't you go hustle some cement and do some stucco work? 
And so I was like, sure, what the hell? So I was like this young 18-year-old kid going out to subcontractors. I basically became an entrepreneur when no one really talked about entrepreneurs. In fact, I didn't know I was an entrepreneur at the time. I was just like, I don't know, I'm trying to make a buck here. So I was going and meeting this young kid to these uh, mean, old, uh, gritty, salty uh, construction people and, uh, hitting them for business. And they're like, you know, we don't see kids like you. Uh, how do we know what you're doing? I'm like, I'll tell you what, I'm good at what I do. I'm very good at what I do. And, uh, I'll do the work. And if you like it, pay me and hire me for other jobs. And if you don't, it's for free. And they were, you know, if you know, contractors, they love work for free. Love free. So, <laughs> so they were like, yeah, we don't have to pay you. Let's do that. And so uh, I write about my book. I started my first company at 18. Um, and uh, then I started subsequent companies after that, built uh, several multi-million dollar companies in a row, just kept being home run after home run. And I uh, talked about my book, how I got there, what I did, some of the different, what I call my CEO toolbox in the book of different things that I use, different mechanisms I use. And uh, that's how I kind of got here through a lot of different twists and turns and cathartic times through life. Well, that's a hell of a story, man. I mean, home run after home run, you, you, For a you, while. Throw, you throw that out there so casually, but that's a big deal, right? Like, I mean, how did you hit home run after home run? That's the first question I got for you. That's a really good question. So I, I started my first company and I did that for a while, but I realized I didn't want to work in labor. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with labor. I don't mean to shame it in any way, shape or form. The people that can go out there and work with their bodies and their muscles and their back. And, you know, there's guys that are just the salt of the earth that can do that work, but I'm old, fat, and lazy. And I knew that I wasn't, I was just not, I just, I'm missing a couple of chromosomes or something. I don't know what the hell is, but I was just like, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 40 and 50. Cause I don't think I'm going to be able to pull it off. And I'm 50 now. And yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't do labor. I don't, I don't even pick stuff off of the floor when it falls. Uh, I just leave it there. So uh, a few years later and a few iterations of starting companies, the little ones would fail and I kept practicing. I was reading Harvard Business Review, studying business, planning to become a CEO of a company someday, doing everything I could to prepare, reading all sorts of business books, everything I could get into. I was studying and training to be the CEO of a major company someday and planning on it and just preparing myself mentally and uh, information knowledge-wise, reading Peter Drucker books, Tom Peters, everything I could. And I found the right vehicle one day with a friend of mine that I've been friends with for uh, most of my life. Uh, he came to me and his company had a problem. They're looking to hire a new company. I said, well, I know how to build that. And uh, there was enough iterations of me practicing businesses that had failed, little businesses that failed. And we started this company and uh, I talked about my book. I went through my last training with my CEO who kind of taught me the last few keys that I needed to my, my sensei training and start our first company. Uh, we started with a lot of blood, sweat and tears, $2,000. It was profitable within three months uh, and became a multi-million dollar company, lasted for 13 years before we shut it down because it was just too much risk uh, with cars and vehicles and stuff. And then uh, a year and a half later, I started my mortgage company on top of running the career company for $4,000. And we had that profitable within three months and uh and it became multi-million dollar company, one of three companies we had in our empire. And after that, we just started a series of companies. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty interesting ride. At one point, we were loaning out money and 
And uh, we would take over white knight businesses uh, and pull companies from bankruptcy. I tell a lot of the stories in my book. And so I uh, just give a lot of that training that we went through in life. And uh, of course, there's been a lot of cathartic times. Uh, in 2008, we lost our whole empire of companies and had to start a new gig over. We started the, the podcast and we started uh, social media and all those different things and consulting. Uh, uh, you know, all my all my employees would be like, you should do consulting, Chris. And I'm like, what do you, when do you think I have the time? But 2008 kind of gave that. So, so it's kind of a life where you keep reiterating yourself and reinventing yourself. So, man, you've started, started multiple multi-million dollar companies, and then you became a consultant and a mm -hmm. podcaster. Yeah. yeah. Why? Uh, um, partially because 2008 ruined everything, wiped everything on the planet. We had to come up with something new. So, you know, we started consulting, coaching, and then uh, podcasting. I've always been a big mouth. Uh, when you're the CEO of a company, especially when you've got thousands of employees, you constantly have to be presenting to them, selling to them. You're selling to the employees, your vision. You're selling to the vendors, your vision. You're selling to your board, your vision. You're selling uh, everybody you interact with. You're constantly selling them. Here's where our company is going. Here's where, uh, why you should do business with us. Here's why you should give us the best prices. Here's why what we're going to be doing is going to be awesome 10 years from if you're part of the ride that's going on with us, where we're going. You know, it's the, it's the moment that you stand on those sandboxes and do the thing. I used to do our company newsletters back in the day before there was email. And uh, so I've always been a mouth. I've always been that guy, even though I was a, a fairly introverted as a child. You just have to be that voice. You're constantly selling everybody, investors, et cetera. So um, a podcast seemed to be like a great way for me to have a big mouth, use my mouth, and uh, talk to people about stuff, uh, talk to people about what I was interested in, try and share my knowledge that social media kind of be we get this whole thing of we'll share your knowledge and then people will be like this idiot knows what he's doing maybe and uh, then they hire you for stuff uh so yeah and plus i i find things really interesting in life i have a genuine curiosity of life i heard uh um uh, i can't remember the cnn host king larry king said one time he goes you know i'm i'm innately curious about people he goes i go on airplanes i sit next to people i'm like who are you what got you here what got you through life and so I'm very curious about people, the choices they make, because there's no perfect road. You know, there's no life where if you go this way, you'll, you're perfect. I mean, maybe Elon Musk or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people go through journeys and the lives are stories. And that's really what we're made up of. And many times cathartic, sometimes destructive journeys where your whole life gets wiped out. You lose your wife, you lose your children, you lose everything. Maybe sometimes you're living in your car and. Yeah, I got to start over. And a lot of us, you know, especially those of us at our age, we may have started over a couple of different times and we learned that we're not alone and that it's okay. And that, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, uh, I, I tell a story in the book about how my, my business partner uh, of 12, 13 years, uh, best friend of 22 years, someone I, you know, I used to joke I'd bury a body with, uh, uh, you know, uh, walked into me one day, had stabbed me in the back, run one of our businesses in the ground to bankrupt everything so he wouldn't be debt-free, handed me the keys and told me what he did. And I had four days to save the company from bankruptcy. Um, never thought that I would be able to survive without him. And, uh, you know, then I realized going through that cathartic moment that I had always been the guy. 
So, uh, you know, we go through these things. You know, it's funny. I had a business partner in uh, my business as well. And um, we were friends. Um, and he also had another business that he was working in. And mm -hmm. it was causing tension because he was an operator in both. And I was annoyed because I felt I did more for our business than he did. And he didn't like it. So I attempted to convey uh, that this wasn't fair from my point of view. Um, actually, I didn't attempt to. I conveyed it. He didn't accept it. Uh, long story short is at, at some point, at one point, he just called me and he said, I don't want to be partners with you. And so he left. We had a year-long buyout situation. I bought him out. He left. And he said to me one of the reasons that he was going to uh, leave the business was because he felt that things were getting untenable. It was going to hurt our friendship. So he wanted to stay friends. But at some point during the buyout process, he stopped talking to me. Yeah. He wouldn't return my calls. Wow. And it just hurt me like nobody's business. I'm a sensitive man. And, you know, to this day, we don't speak the way we used to speak. I think in the last two and a half years, we've spoken once. Um, and even when we did speak, I kind of, I got the sense that he was, he was being polite, but he was certainly not interested in rekindling the friendship. And yeah. It, it, it's, you know, I, I, the business is when we were together, the business was at a certain stage. I grew it above what it was with the two of us. Um, and then COVID hit and we took a bit of a tank. Now we're working on getting it back <laughs> to, to where it was um, prior to that. But I got to tell you at a, at a level of friends, it's disappointing at a level of business. You probably did me a favor. He probably did me a favor. He did. He did actually. He did you a major favor, bud. You're you're and and you know that now. You're gonna you're gonna more appreciate that in the future. You know, I I was friends with him since I was 12. And we've been oh. friends for uh let's see, we started our business. I was 22. So we were friends for 10 years and we were best buds. Like we'd I mean done almost everything together growing up. Uh, you know, we we lived together as a roommate. We graduated high school. He went to his job. I was supposed to go to college. And, and so we were, we were best buds, man. We were, you know, you know, you know how tight you are with those people from high school and junior high when you grow up. And so we, we were just, you know, I felt like I could trust him beyond a shadow of a doubt for business for 13 years. I could trust him beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, he was the most, he, he came from a red, and I'm not shaming anybody. I'm just painting a picture, but he came from a redneck community. His, his family was very redneck. They, you know, they like working in the fields and cows and that's a very uh, soup business. Um, but he had trouble with our white collar sort of business, but he, you know, I could be the visionary and we, we had a great partnership. I could be the visionary and I could be the guy who do everything. You know, you would dump me into a jungle. I was the Vietnam dude, army ranger who could go in build you a village and then he would come in and run the village you know i can give him the mundane stuff 
stuff that it would make me mental. Like he would, he could do the accounting or he could do the books or, you know, he could, he could manage the widgets, you know, and he was very good at that. And so we made a great team because we had the visionary, we had the hard work, you know, uh, rudimentary stuff that makes me mental. And of course he couldn't do the visionary. You know, you'd, I'd send him home with the yellow pads. They come up with some ideas and he'd come back with nothing. Um, and so we worked great as a partnership for that for a long time. And I built companies, uh, you know, some of them were good. I think we had over 28 different corporations we owned or invested in at any given time. Uh, some failed, you know, there was a certain point once we got beyond three core businesses on our jewel crown that, you know, we, we try stuff that wouldn't work or we invest in stuff or we buy people out. And I'm talking about in the book about how I used to take companies out of bankruptcy or, or ones that were on the border of bankruptcy and my experience that I learned from why entrepreneurs fail. And so, uh, we were tight, really tight, you know, people would sue us, we'd sue them. We always had a lot of collections. So, um, you know, we spend time in court, you know, they'd be suing us over commission deals. Cause they, they were like, I wrote, I wrote an invoice, uh, sales, uh, you should pay me the full commission, even though I am not there to close it. And you're like, yeah, well, 50% of your sales don't close. You know that you're suing us for hundred percent of your sales. You know, we always had to, when you get money and you get success, you know, this people sue you. It's just like a game. Uh, people sue you, whether they're rich or poor, and it just becomes a war. And so um, we'd always have to deal with that. And so I, I could trust him like you could trust somebody in the mob. I mean, it was just we we had that level of trust. And I would go to the mat for him over anything. I you know I used to even just kind of joke like uh, if he did something, we'd probably be in prison together. Uh, and we were that tight. We were that trustworthy. I mean, there's nobody that that I could trust beyond a shot. I trust him better than I, I trust my own mother or parent. So um, uh, to have him betray me like that, that I write about in the book was yeah, it must have extraordinary. Sucked. It must've sucked, but uh, it became what I found out later. It was like when Howard Stern, I don't know if you've been a Howard Stern fan and remember him and Jackie. I, 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 I was until the, uh, the pandemic. Now I hate his guts. He's a piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> so, so back in the day, in the 90s, there was Jackie Matlingley, who used to write a lot of jokes for, I think, Playboy or Penthouse. He was the joke man, Jackie the joke man. And the joke he, man, sure. Yeah, yeah. If you I watched the movie, I think people know the story. So Howard Stern had Jackie as a sidekick. And for years, he built the whole brand of Howard Stern and stuff and Jackie Matlingley. One day, Jackie and him separate business. And Howard Stern thinks it's over. He thinks he's lost his mojo, his co-host, his sidekick. And what he goes through depression, he goes through, you know, the cathartic moment. He's like, you know, no one's ever going to think I'm funny. No one's ever going to think I'm interesting. What Howard Stern realizes after going through that is it's always been Howard Stern all along. Howard Stern's always been the guy. It wasn't Jackie. Jackie was riding on his table. And from what you've told me, it sounds like your partner was doing the same thing. You've always been the guy, the idea guy. And I found the same thing when I went through mine. Because the beauty of it was, is you don't leave behind something that you love, that you're passionate about it. And the fact that he left this behind and you're the guy, that's the power. And that's the most important thing for people to realize that are in our situations. We live in a time, man, where folks like me need to stand up for the mm -hmm. things we believe in. I believe in freedom. I believe very strongly in freedom. I believe strongly in free enterprise. And I mm -hmm. do what I do because I want to strengthen the free enterprise and the capitalist system. That's my why. 
Mm-hmm. I want entrepreneurs to win. The more entrepreneurs we have, the more freedom wins. So the more yeah. successful, like I got this vision, hashtag billion millionaires. Nikki Billow, the billion millionaires, man, the billion millionaire movement. And in, in terms of what I do for men, I believe we're living in a time where men and masculinity are under assault. And mm-hmm. you can see, you know, with um, the banning of Andrew Tate from almost yeah. all major social media platforms, that anybody who speaks up for masculinity is a target. Now, sure, mm-hmm. maybe Andrew Tate could have done it more artfully in some ways, but I've listened to <laughs> his content. I've, I decided once they banned him, you know what? Before I kind of like dismissed him. I got to be honest, I wasn't a fan at all, but I didn't really listen to his stuff. I said, okay, let me take some time, let me invest some time and check him out. 98% mm-hmm. of what he says is 100% on point. Two percent of it's dumb as shit. You know what I mean? Global bombastic. Yeah, yeah. But ninety-eight percent of it's on point. And because he spoke to the concerns of men, he got banned. What the hell is that? That's garbage, right? So for me, it's important to stand up for men. It's important to be a voice for men. And you know, Andrew, no offense, buddy, but you're thirty-five years old. I'm fifty-five. There's some shit you got wrong, pure and simple. And I'm gonna teach you how to get it right. I'm going to teach the other young men how to get it right. No, you, you don't go and sleep with any, any and all women that you can get a hold of. You commit to one woman at some point. You get married. You have children. You become a part of a society. That's your job. No, you don't go have sex with 60 women just because you can. I'm not saying he did that, but you know what I mean? He's, he's a man who said, I can, I think he I might can have a girlfriend and I can sleep with multiple. Women. I don't know. I mean, I just made that number up. That was that was a little bit of bombast on my part. But, but you know, the fact of the matter is you knock Andrew Tate down. He's going to come back on other platforms, which he has. He's, he's on Rumble right now. Good for him. He's mm-hmm. on Getter. He's on Parlor. He's, he's on a whole bunch of these new platforms. But those of us that are still on all the other platforms, like me, I'm not, a, I'm not you know, the biggest man in the internet like he was, obviously. But I got a decent following. I'm going to keep speaking about freedom. I'm going to keep speaking about manhood and masculinity. And I'm going to be speaking out against censorship. And inside of what I do in my business, I help people who are entrepreneurs make a million dollars a year. That's my goal. I want to help turn you into a millionaire if you're not a millionaire already. And I want to help get you to a million dollars a year. That's my shtick. All right. That's what I'm all about. And when I get to do that for people, it's good. It's good. The world becomes better. Our society becomes stronger. So, you know, you listen to the show. You like who I am. You like what I'm all about. You're going to know this. You're going to say, okay, you know what? I want to be a millionaire. I want to make a million dollars. If you're not making a million dollars, if you're not a millionaire, let's face it, you're going to struggle. That's a fact. Like it or not, that's a fact. So let's get in here. Let's get it going for you. That's what it's all about from my perspective. I call mm-hmm. myself the millionaire maker. I didn't come up with that. Someone else did, but I have adopted it because I've made a bunch of people millionaires. I'm yeah. thrilled about that, brother. I'm thrilled about that. Let's make yeah. more people millionaires, man. Let's make 10, 20 more before the end of this year. That's definitely, what I say. Definitely. And even then you got to make 3 million because, you know, you lose most of it to taxes. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> but no, it's good that you're doing that. I, you know, I'm in the same thing. I'm a, I like Andrew Tate. I, I, I thought he was a great uh, sort of prophet. There's no perfect prophet. Uh, you know, I've been studying the male thing. I've been a guy who's single all of his life. I'm 54. I've dated all my life. 
you know, you heard some of my story on your, on your, on the podcast, she came on with me. I've owned a bikini team. I've owned a modeling and acting agency. Uh, I've been friends with Ron Rice from Ryan Tropic and used to be able to go around the world. And, you know, I kind of, I understand the dating markets. I understand what these young men are going through. I grew up in an environment where you had to go up and cold approach a girl in a bar or a club or, you know, a grocery store. And uh, you had to impress her. You had to finesse her and to get her phone number. And, uh, you know, I used to have 400 of the hottest girls on my phone. Uh, at any given time, I used to show up at clubs like Hugh Hefner with six girls. And we'd, you know, go do the whole thing. You know, when you have a modeling agency, you you have to you have to do the thing. It's all about the show. So um, I know what that's like. So I know what these young men are going through. I see the simping online. I see the weakness online. You know, Beacons of Leadership, leadership is a skill that is very masculine and if you're a woman you're very uh emotional and very uh, estrogen based you have to operate in your masculine to lead because it's a masculine thing and women can do that and they do that very well uh but you you it's a masculine thing to take a tribe to take a team of people which goes back to our caveman times and go hey you and you and you we're gonna go kill that dinosaur we're gonna kill that woolly mammoth you know where the hell it is you know we're gonna go we're gonna do something we're gonna kill something we're gonna fish something. we're gonna achieve something that is masculine and so uh we go out we hunt stuff we figure out how to kill the woolly mammoth we go we go use all of our physical dexterity which we're built with from a biology thing and so the natural version of leadership is masculine um and women can do it too they just have to operate in their masculine but I, i it's more innate to our nature as men to be leaders and to make money, to be successful, be providers. I mean, that's really what you're talking about when you're talking about making money. You're talking about being a provider. You know, when a man makes money, he goes, how can I raise a family? How can I give this to other people? How can I share this? And how can I build security for my family and provisioning for my paternal instincts? And so uh, that's what we do with our biological imperative. So, yeah, this is all really important stuff. And I see these kids nowadays that... They, they grew up without alpha fathers. I was lucky enough in my generation to grow up with uh, an alpha grandfather and an alpha father. So I understood what it was. I grew up with two different types of women in my life. I grew up with very angry women who had childhood trauma, uh, emotional suicide. Kids were always very angry and bitter, mainly because the people that they're involved with weren't operating in their masculine. So the women had to operate in their masculine because yeah, the men were operating in their like that in their feminine they don't like being in that position and then i had the the alpha grandfather who was very masculine very strong and he had the nice feminine wonderful wife who was very happy they lived a very successful life and uh like i grew up watching these two different opposed women angry over here and these women are very happy over here and so that's when I discovered very early on as a child, the importance of a lot of this stuff and being masculine, but no, it's good that you're reaching out. I've seen your uh, podcast, the sovereign man, I think it is. Yeah. 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 And uh, it's good because these young men need a uh, Andrew Tate. Now there are some things he says, it's bombastic. There are some things that, 
you know, the feminine just movement. Gloria Steinem said that we were bombastic. <laughs> yeah, there were same things that were uh, hypocritical about that whole movement and her. I mean, I'm sure she inspired some people and everything else, but no prophet is perfect. But, you know, we're seeing this right now on TikTok. I mean, there are certain hashtags. I've been posting about this on Facebook. There are certain hashtags where men are stupid. Hashtag men are stupid. Hashtag men, uh, uh, rob men or, or scam men. But men can't make those hashtags or else they'll be banned. They can't even, you can't even put up a hashtag that says women are stupid. But there's 5 billion men are stupid hashtags. It's literally banned on social media. And so... That you can put up all this yeah, misandry, yeah, but there's no. No, misandry you know, is is the order of the day, and it needs to stop. Yeah. It, it needs to well, stop, and it's not going to stop. So what we got to do is we got to just rise above it and put, keep pushing through. And look, I'm not going to go knocking women um, uh, as a group. I am going to knock the individual woman who who went badly, who behaved yeah. badly. Uh, there are unfortunately too many women that are being raised to be misandrist, mm-hmm. you know, for my listener who doesn't know what that means. That's, you, you know, mis- misandry is to men as to misogyny is to women. Okay. Yeah. So hatred basically of men it's a hatred women. of men. Exactly. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is this. Okay. What Andrew Tate is correct on is that, you know, men and women have different strengths, right? Different strengths. Men for, yeah, men, for example, you know, are, are physically stronger. Women are, are, are better at empathy. Like one of the things that women do really well is they get together and have friendships and groups. Men suck at that. And that's a problem. It's one of the reasons there's so much mental health uh, distress among men these days. Right. And, and women, that's not an issue for women. Right. And, and women are, are, you know, women are able to uh, get out there and, and organize. And that's one of the reasons, you, you know, the women's movement was successful because they were able yeah. to do that. Now men, men today suck at that. We're not organized. We're kind of just a whole bunch of little groups going along. If we did get organized, we would very quickly turn things around. You know, and the, yeah. the truth of the matter is we are physically stronger. There's no two ways about it. Are you freaking kidding yeah. me, man? We're physically stronger. Plus, if there's a war, I want men going out there and fighting. I don't want the women going out there and fighting. Yeah, some women want to go fight, knock yourself out to be sure. But, you know, we need physical badasses out there doing what they do. And that's primarily men. Yeah. If we got to have war, we need men. And the one of the problems in our society right now is men are becoming feminized and pussified and wussified. That's not good. You know, there's this meme uh, on the internet, um, Chinese military recruiting ad, right? Martial music, big, strong looking Chinese soldiers, you know, fantastic recruiting ad, Russian military recruiting ad, Russian soldiers, martial music, big, strong Russian soldiers in there fantastic recruiting ad u.s military recruiting ad this wimpy looking you know androgynous dude going let's talk about pronouns i'm like are you kidding me you you're gonna put those dudes against those dudes in a shooting war yeah (laughs) well i mean we've we we've seen we've seen if that happens we can't yeah, we've seen happen. three generations of of this wandering down to men. The other thing we've seen is men have lost their ability to tribe up because we're good at, like you say, tribing up. That's what we're good at. 
but we're good at, you know, we don't have to talk to each other. We can, you and I can go fishing together and say five words to each other, but we'll have a bond of loyalty and manhood that women won't be able to have. If you understand women and they really work together socially, they team up socially, but they compete very heavily in jealousy and sabotage each other very well. Yeah, that, um, in fact, one of the things I remember reading, this isn't, yeah, I, I remember reading this when I was a kid in Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review, who sends their authors to our show. Um, this was a study that was done, and this was like 25 years ago, so I don't have it at my record. But basically, they decided one of the reasons men rise to the level of corporations of leadership and they rise together is they club together and they create tribes and they're very loyal to each other. And one of the problems that women have in corporations is they undercut each other and they backstab each other and they fight and they undercut each other. And so they don't rise because they're, well, they pretend they're working together. Uh, like I, I'll give you an example. I, I, my girlfriends used to come home and they'd be like, "Yo, Betty get to work and she does this and Betty does that. And, and Jane does this and blah, 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 blah. And my, my best friend, you know, she's doing this and blah, blah, blah. And I would hear about how they would talk about their friends. And I'd be like, you know, well, let me talk to you something. You talk about your friends like I talk about enemies I want to murder, okay? I don't talk about my friends that way as a man. My friends, they call me, you know, what's that old meme? It's, it's this old thing from uh, it's saying, hey, man, we're going to go do something. We're going to go hurt some people. I can't tell you what it is. You can't ask me about it later, but we're going to go do some shit. And the guy goes, what car are we taking? Okay. That's kind of how men work. And I don't mean in just a violent sense. I mean, in a mental sense, as we get together, there's shit we can do with our brains and how we do it. But I'll credit this to Rolo Tomasi because I don't want to steal his shit. But Rolo Tomasi talks about how one of the things that has been attacked is our ability to go do things. We used to go to the bars together. So you and I would go to the bars. We'd have a beer after work. Hey, how's it going, man? It's going good, Nikki. You know, I got these problems with the wife. I've got the kids at home, you know, oh man, have a beer. Let's, let's talk about this thing. Let's, you know, rub elbows, masculinity, again. we can go do it. You know, we pump each other up and we go out and do it again. Um, we've lost that. And the problem is women have invaded those things, especially with feminism and destroyed them. The locker room, you can't be in the locker room without a woman now on ESPN, uh, in the NFL, you can't go to the, you can't have bars anymore. So we don't really get together anymore. In fact, the only time a man can usually get together with other men is in the dirty, filthiest part of his home. I mean, look at men nowadays. They're relegated to their garage. If they want to go have their place and their peace, they can't even be in their own home with their wife and children. Their wife goes, hey, get, get your ass out to the garage. Or, you know, even more desperate. I got to build a man cave so I can have well, listen, men, I, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't know that that's a hundred percent accurate, at least in my world. Mm -hmm. Cause look, mm -hmm. me and the men, we get together a lot inside our community, that's good. inside a okay. sovereign man. And um, you know, I'm not 55. I don't go to bars. I haven't gone to bars for a long time, <laughs> but I go, I go have a meal with my men. You know, there you we, go. we go shooting together. We go, uh, hunting together we we go uh, axe throwing together we go knife shopping together that's the sort of thing we do and we have a conversation in that fashion and mm -hmm. yeah for a lot of men that's not happening and that's one of the reasons why folks like andrew tate uh rose up and that's why folks like myself and sovereign man we rose up let's circle back to the business end of this conversation 
I, I probably should should interview you on my men's podcast because a lot of this stuff is more uh, appropriate for for the folks listening to that than for the business podcast. But we'll quickly circle back here. So, the beacons of leadership. What's powerful about that book is that that uplifts your brand and makes it easier for you to get consulting clients. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people call me and they're like, Hey, we read the book. And I'm like, you read it? <laughs> and they go, Hey, we want to work with you and stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, the reason I titled beacons of leadership is because to me, being a leader is like being a, a lighthouse, like a beacon. That's why on the cover it's right there. I like it. Yeah, uh, I there's it. a lighthouse. And so you set forth, uh, this vision of who you are as a leader that your employees look to, if you're a parent, you're a leader. You know, I write the book in in the sense that everyone is a leader or has the potential to be a leader. If you're a parent, you're a father. You're already a leader. You, you may not know it yet. Your kids look to you and go, okay, lead us. And uh, hopefully, you know, I mean, I'm sure you are from what you're tuned into. But, uh, you know, you've got to be a lead. You can be a leader. A person on a street who witnesses a crime and steps in and says, hey, you're not going to do that. Um, that's a leader. There's all these moments of places in life where everybody can be a leader and that beacon shines forth just like a lighthouse up on a rock. And it sends a message and communication that, Hey, I'm a leader. I'm bleeding. Here's my message. It shines through the light that comes out. And, uh, that's what sets forth. And if you're an if you have, you know, employees, they're looking to that. If you're the CEO of a fortune 500 company, they're looking to your light. They're looking to your morals, your ethics, uh, what you're doing. They also notice if you're not doing them. So if you're out there being a CEO of a big fortune 500 company, you're like, we need an honest corporation. Everyone must be honest. And meanwhile, the employees are going, yeah, you're stealing from the company and doing unethical things. Yeah. We, we see right through that. And so it's making sure that that message is consistent and congruent. I like it, man. I like it. So um, where do people pick up a copy of the book, brother? They can go to amazon.com. Uh, anywhere you find uh, books are sold. Uh, even Alameda bookstores have it, I think. Uh, it's everywhere on the internet. You can go to beaconsleadership.com, my website, if you want to order like an autograph copy um, and all that good stuff. Check it out. Yeah. It's a pretty good I like book. It. I like, I like it. it. I like it. It's good for uh, if you you know need something to put your coffee on. It's a good coffee holder. I love it, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So listen, Chris, we like to end off each episode by asking you as our guest expert for your laser share top three expert action steps. These are these are your best three pieces of advice for my listener to take their business to the next level. So what do you say? I would give you stoicism. Uh, and, uh, there's, there's several different things that I subscribe in stoicism and the, uh, let me pull these up here on my thing. Uh, but, uh, stoicism is really important. Uh, and, uh, uh, what's the thing I'm looking for in stoicism. So, uh, if you study stoicism, it's really great for manhood and it's great for leadership. Uh, and there's a few different principles in it that are really important. Uh, one of my favorites is Amor Fatai, uh, and it talks about uh, how important it is in human greatness for uh, being able to uh, live a fulfilled life. And it's about realizing uh, sometimes that uh, what happens in life to you, you can't always control, but you can control what happens to you uh, or how you interpret that data, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, 
I encourage people to go study stoicism, stoicism and uh, the concept around that because it will, it will really focus you on life. Uh, the other thing in stoicism that I encourage people, and this is a lot of stuff for, um, uh, it's, it's a bit macabre, and some people have a hard time realizing it, but uh, it's talking about death and staying present and how you uh, use stoicism to take and do that. Uh, and it's called memento mori and memento mori. And it's a philosophy of where you realize that time is short, that you don't know how much time you have life and you embrace that. And you realize that your death is going to happen. It is inevitable. And for a lot of people, that's a bit macabre to take and embrace but with memento mori. I've got like uh, uh, different uh, signs on my on my refrigerator. There's different rings or amulets you can get to remind you that death will happen. You will die. And a lot of people live their lives where they put off living because they're like, ah, I got plenty of time, you know. And a lot of those people aren't with you us don't. today. You, you don't, don't have time. And so you memento mori basically means remember that you will die. All you have is your time today, your presence. You don't have the future. You don't have your past. That's gone. You can't fix that. You can't change that. It's about being present in the moment, about being present today. And uh, what you do today is going to affect your business life. It's going to affect your personal life, connecting with your loved ones, connecting with your business. You know, you can sit here right now when we get off this podcast and you can go, I don't go play some video games. Or you can be like, you know what? I'm going to sit down with the yellow pad and I'll focus on what do I need to start doing each and every day to be successful? Because that's what builds a successful life. Memento Mori, you don't know what the future holds. You may not be here tomorrow, but you have to accept that. You can't be afraid of that. You can't think about that because you don't have a choice in that. And that's okay. Memento Mori teaches that remember, tomorrow you will die. So what will you do with today? How will you build your legacy? How will you make a difference? And uh, so I recommend people get into stoicism. Uh, there's a whole lot of other aspects to stoicism and everything else that we could probably go into. But, you know, sit down and go, what am I achieving today? What what am I achieving tomorrow? What what, uh, what What's my plan in life? What's my 10-year, my five-year plan? Even though you may not achieve it, what do you need to do today? to get those things done. And so I really recommend people look into stoicism, memento mori, amorfate, um, and, and, you know, realize that uh, being present is super important. I had this problem I was having for a lot of times where I, I wasn't present. And I knew I wasn't present. My dogs would come up that, that I love that are like my children. They would sit beside me and I'd be petting them. And I, I just still wouldn't be there. I'd be in 50 different places. I'd be totally disconnected. I couldn't be intimate with people where, you know, they'd be talking to me and I'd be like off in 50 different places. And, uh, you know, I just, I just was lost. I wasn't present. And I realized it. And I just, I just felt like I was fighting through this wall of all times to just be there, be in the moment and to appreciate that moment and, and all that good stuff. I think the uh, other thing I would throw in there, um, maybe a third item is gratitude. Every Sunday I have a day of gratitude and it's on my calendar. Every Sunday is a day of gratitude where I sit down with some private time and some reflective time. And I go, what am I um, very thankful for right now? What's important to me? Um, and what, what have I, what do I have that I'm very happy for? And that's very important 
because um, you focus on, on, you know, what you have. And that's really what can make you great because if you focus on what you have, uh, you can amplify that. You can make things better. Um, and until then, you know, you, you tend to take things for granted and you think your life sucks and you think it's horrible. If you reach that position, focus on gratitude. Say, what, what, what in my life is really working? Sometimes the darkest moments of your life or the bottoms of your life, you need to sit down and do a, uh, there's an old saying about a dipstick. Um, you need to do a dipstick test and check out what's working for your life. I like it. And, and go, you know, where, where am I succeeding? And you know what? One of my favorite things to do is I used to go watch, when I was really depressed, I go through depression problems. I go watch the movie, uh, the show Cops, the TV show Cops. And after about two hours of watching Cops, you realize your damn life is pretty good. <laughs> like if, you don't have, if you don't have guys kicking in your door and you're wearing a shirt and you're not wearing a shirt on your mobile home thing, drinking a beer and the cops go, you need to stand up and you're like, fight me, you know? Or the cops aren't picking you up going, yeah, we're getting you today again, Leonard. Way to go. You fucked up. You know, you watch the TV show Cops, and after about two hours, you go, you know, my life's pretty damn good. I'm not going to prison <laughs> all the time. I don't have guys kicking in go. my door. No, no, there you go. All right. We're going to have to wrap this up, brother. So those are three really great expert action steps. And I'm going to organize to bring you on the men's podcast. I think we should talk stoicism on that. So let's uh, let's make sure we do that. So listener. Chris Voss, The Real Deal. His book, Beacons of Leadership, worth buying. Go to Amazon, pick it up. Check out his podcast. We're going to put all that information in the show notes. Make sure that you do that. If you like this conversation, or if it provoked you or ticked you off, because I know we were a little bit controversial today, good. Share it with somebody, have them have a listen, and make sure that you benefit from what you heard today. Chris Voss, thank you so much for being on the show with me today, my brother. Thank you. It was wonderful to be on the show. And thanks to your audience for having me. Oh, it's, it, it's an honor, my friend. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Chris Voss, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or wherever you happen to listen to this podcast episode, be it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Audible. Until next time. Goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.